Hey friends, my guest today is Matt Graham. Matt is the 2018 Olympic silver medalist in mogul skiing and hails from Australia. Matt has had two World Cup wins and more than 15 podiums on the World Cup Tour, along with getting second place at the 2019 World Championships. I know when you usually think of Australia, skiing is not the first thing that comes to your mind. But slowly and surely, they have built a fantastic program down there, and Matt is an inspiration to athletes all around Australia and the world. I hope you enjoy Matt's journey of failures and successes so far. We are rolling. Matt, thanks for coming on, my man. I appreciate it. Hey, Bobby. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. This is the, uh, this is the first one, you know, uh, international-wise that I've really... Uh, what, what time is it down, down under for you guys down there? Yeah, it's 11.30 in the morning, so I assume it's, what, your afternoon, evening sometime? Yeah, it's about, it's about 8 o'clock here, so I'm glad. Uh, th- thanks a lot for kind of taking the time <laughs> and, and working through and being able to, to make this work. I really appreciate it. No, nah, no worries. Bobby, Bobby Carroll is going global. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just the start. <laughs> Just the start. Um, well, I really wanted to uh, discuss a lot of, uh, you know, success with you, you know, because you've had such, such a great career so far and it's still it's still not not done you know you're still kind of flourishing and um haven't hit your apex at least in my opinion at all so got a long ways to go and and one of the main things kind of looking back at, at your career so far that i've always kind of been curious about i'm just kind of curious like uh what what drives you where, where does that drive come from for you yeah totally it's been uh you know it's been a long career it's still got a few more years to go i'd say um but yeah i guess you know i was always like ultra competitive as a kid and and uh you know, just had this desire to win and loved winning growing up. And um, I think that's kind of, yeah, really, really like installed that drive in me when I was a kid. And um, it's something that's really come through over my later years as well. So is it, is it like a, a real want to win or is it like hating, hating to lose? What, what, what which <laughs> end is it on the competitive spectrum there? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I started to get the bug of winning when I was probably like eight years old. You know, I started out, I'm from the coast, central coast of New South Wales in Australia. And uh, I started out as a young kid sailing competitively down at our local clubs. And, um, you know, my brother and I, when I was you know, between six and eight years old, he was a little older than me. We uh, sailed together in a small dinghy, a small little boat. And, um, you know, we put in some work and did some training and managed to win my first national title when I was eight years old. Wow. And um, yeah, I just don't remember the feeling I had when I won that, that national event was uh, just massive satisfaction. And uh, yeah, I just got this bug and addiction to, to wanting to win. And um, for a while there, it was, it probably definitely went into the hating to lose spectrum, I would say, you know, I'd, I'd uh, every year we'd sail and um, I just, just wouldn't want to lose any race. You know, we had the sailing season would go for us from September through to April. And okay. uh, yeah, I just, you know, I'd want to go through the whole year and not lose a race. And when it did, it just hurt so bad. So I think it, uh, it was something, you know, learning to lose was something I had to kind of uh, develop as I was getting older, especially once I uh, you know, started competing in a skiing and was versing older guys. You know, you're not going out there and winning all the time. So it was um, learning to lose was something I had to kind of, uh, I guess, learn. And, right. um, and then I think once I learned to lose, I think uh, I went back to uh, wanting to win, I'd say. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, it is one of those things about, about being a, a competitor that, that uh, especially in our sport, it's, it's so interesting because it's an individual sport, you know, skiing, you're out there. But then after you're done with competition, you're going out and you're like having beers with, you know, some of the guys that you beat or beat you. I mean, it's definitely an interesting dynamic, at least when it comes to, uh, when it comes to skiing, right? Yeah, totally. I think... Um... One thing I started to, I guess one perspective I've started to use, you know, in the last probably four or five years is that, um, you know, I think it's, I think it's one reason why so many of our, so many of my competitors and I are really close and really good friends is that the fact that, you know, we're out there and it's more or less just us versus the mountain, you know, we're right. not really, you know, it's not a tennis match or a boxing ring where you're face to face with your opponent, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to just us and now and what we can do um, in, in, the, in the qualifications or the finals. And, uh, you know, it's more or less just, yeah, us versus a run as opposed to us versus the competitor. And then the person who puts down the best run will uh, win the event. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. Now, 
For most people out there, they would not think of Australia as uh, the place for uh, 2018 Olympic silver medalists. <laughs> that's not where they're thinking uh, that, that that's going to come from down under. What, what you know, when did you kind of start getting into skiing and, and what was that like? Because, I mean, uh, we were just talking about a little bit before that ski season's kind of just getting getting underway down there, right? June 24th, uh, Parishers kicking it off. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll be opening up soon down here with, uh, you know, amongst all the restrictions and whatnot. But uh, yeah, it is weird. You know, I grew up on you know, the closest ski field to me is about a six hour drive. So, uh, you know, I grew up in a coastal regional area and um, it's more or less, an, I guess these days, it's a bit more of an extension of Sydney. It's about an hour and a half, hour and a half north of Sydney. And uh, yeah, we started out skiing when I was three years old and my family and I went down on a ski holiday. Um, my father skied a little bit growing up and he got the family into it and uh, the whole family just fell in love with it and really started to enjoy it. And uh, each year we'd head down to our parisher at least once a year. And then I joined the uh, parisher winter sports club program when I was seven. And um, that's kind of when I started to get the taste of skiing as a sport. And I, you know, we started out doing uh, a little bit of alpine skiing some slope style and then also uh, got into the bumps and you know shortly after that I kind of went more or less down the moguls pathway. So that started pretty much around the same time that you were kind of doing some sailing. Yeah definitely it was uh, you know I started sailing before I started competing, competing for skiing um, so for a long time there it was sailing was my summer sport you know I sail from September through to uh, April and then uh, skiing was my winter sport so it was uh, you know it worked out quite well um, and then it got to a point where I was pretty good at both of them and uh, you know I ended up being it got, got to a time when I was 14 years old I believe it was 13 or 14 and I was uh, you know I was four-time Australian champion for sailing and I was about the same for skiing and it kind of I got to do a bit of a crossroads and it was whether I was going to go down try and be an Olympic sailor or whether I was going to go skiing and become an Olympic skier and uh, obviously chose scan mm -hmm. now how much would you say kind of having that that dual sport and, and allowing yourself to kind of not think about skiing or not think about sailing for you know a few months a few months of the year kind of just like hey i'm focusing on something else how much do you think that that kind of helped in the long run because it seems like nowadays especially here in the states that you're seven years old, you should know absolutely what you want to do and you're going to be a skier and you're only going to ski or you're only going to play football or you're only going to play baseball. That's your specific route. You can't do anything else. Uh, you know, I feel like everything's so specific nowadays. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely kind of going that way. You know, it's the same in Australia a lot these days with the younger kids. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one thing I think the Australian mogul pathway promote, especially in the, uh, you know, the academy and club level guys is that, you know, you want to be multi-sport athlete it's good to be good at you know just more or less just being athletic in general is really important and uh i think you know i learned a lot from sailing that uh, i was able to take to skiing you know sailing is such a different sport like skiing is obviously super intense short it's 30 second run mm -hmm. 25 30 second run really technical and like high acrobatic skills so it was um where sailing you know it's a lot more tactical and a bit more of a mental game once you have those uh you know the, the sailing ability and the technique once that's there, it's a lot more about your decision-making. And um, that's definitely crossed over a lot for, for uh, skiing, especially at the, at the higher ends. And, uh, you know, when it comes to going through the rounds and through the finals and the super finals, you know, making those smart decisions is really important. So uh, I was able to transfer a lot from sailing to skiing and, uh, and vice versa, take a lot of my physical physical abilities that I learned from skiing at a, at a young age, you know, I developed, you know, everyone knows when you ski bumps, you know, your legs and your mm -hmm. butt gets really strong and big. And I was able to take those physical capacities into sailing. So I was able to really dominate the sport at, at a young kid. Right. So, so, so speaking of some of those tactics, like what, you know, that you get from sailing that helps you in your competitive mindset for, for skiing. I mean, what, what are some of those things that, uh, as you say, as you've kind of gone further up the pyramid that have really kind of, uh, translated and been able to uh, help you? Uh, I'd say just um, just making decisions and uh, sailing is really, really tactical. So, okay. you know, you're, you're constantly, you're constantly, uh, you know, you're versing a fleet of other, other sailors and you've got to make decisions and pick the right route around the course. And when mm -hmm. it comes to mobile skiing, those decisions are, I think are important as you go through the rounds. You know, right. I guess like, uh, for example, at the Olympics, 
in the uh, in the round of twelve final, there was you know a lot of guys crashing out and and uh, every, and it seemed like the hype was getting to people. The course was really tough and technical, and I was able to kind of really hone in and make the right decision in that uh, round of twelve uh, final and just put down a run, make it through to the medal round, and then from there I was able to move forward. Right. So. Kind of, kind of speaking to that a little bit. What are some of those kind of unique uh, qualities you think that that you've had that have helped you uh, be so successful in in your career so far? Um, I'd say, I guess you know, if I was to put it down to three qualities, I really uh, think helped me a lot growing up was, um, you know, I think my confidence as a kid was really high. Mm-hmm. You know, I was always really confident in my ability and. Uh, and like growing up, I knew that, you know, I was, I guess, skiing around in Australia. It was, um, you know, I was kind of skiing around with the people, skiing with the, the club guys and everything. And I was just really confident. And, uh, and um, that I guess that enabled me to progress a lot. And then another important thing was my perspective of the sport. Okay. Um, in, in Australia, it's like, at the time, there wasn't a whole lot of, a lot of kids my age doing moguls. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was always looking at, you know, we'd have World Cup teams coming out and skiing each year. And, you know, that's pretty much, they're pretty much the only mogul skis I saw ski. So in my <laughs> mind, my perspective, that was, that was how you were supposed to ski. You know, you weren't supposed to ski like an eight or 10 year old. You're supposed to ski like these high performance athletes. So my perspective on the sport, I guess, was a little skewed growing up. And then, um, yeah, just my, you know, my, my uh, desire to win. Uh, you know, like we touched on before, was uh, another big, another big thing growing up that really progressed me at an early age. Now, when was your first time getting to go through uh, Top Tapa's Dream in Perisher? Was that kind of always there, or when did that kind of come around? For those who don't know, that's the essentially the main mogul course or training site uh, in Perisher uh, in the summer. I mean, essentially all the different nations will travel there, usually August through September, and it's a really great course. Do an awesome job there, uh, unless it's like raining and it's not as sweet. But, you know, you <laughs> yeah. kind of get all those. Happens, you get yeah. literally, you literally get every single winter, spring, summer, winter condition in in uh, Australia. It's in amazing. A, yeah. All in one day. In one day, right? <laughs> yeah. Usually, usually you wake up and it's icy and firm, and then you know it'll soften up, and by the end of the day, it could be either raining and windy and slushy or whatever. But now it was um, the that course got built. Must have been around 2003 or so, okay. 2004 maybe. It was just after I started skiing. And the mobile course we had prior to that was just actually to the skis left of uh, Topper's Dream. Mm-hmm. And then um, uh, Peter Tabalovic, known as Topper, he's a you know, big influential coach and, uh, and pathway guy that's been involved in sport in Australia for a very long time. He always had this you know, dream, obviously, to build the course. And uh, yeah, it was named after him. He, you know, he put a lot of a lot of work in to get that thing built. And, um, and yeah, it's it's a brutal course. It's the longest course in the world. I think it's 270 meters, mm-hmm. and it's about top sections really long, which is yeah. not really characteristic to modern day mogul <laughs> skiing mogul skiing course. You know, most yeah. most courses these days are like have like eight six to eight turns into the top jump, whereas in at uh, on toppers we have about somewhere between 17 and 20. So it's it's yep. definitely different and uh, provides a lot of challenges each year. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of athletes like to come out that time of year. It's, not, it's hard to find a, find a uh, full course that time of the year in August. Mm-hmm. And, um, and like you said, you get all conditions. So it's, it's pretty good training. Yeah, no, it's awesome. And I remember, I mean, one of the things, because my first time going down there was uh, 2009 that I ended up going down. Uh, course was, I mean, it was my first time going to Australia and, um, now looking Who'd you back come out with it, Park, were you a Park City team or something? Uh, it was, I was skiing with Deer Valley at the time, but I came with Park City. So it was Park yeah, City's okay. club. It yeah. was, uh, like, uh, Ryan Riley, Kyle, uh, Jordan, Bartley, Panther, yep. Marchetti. That's essentially that whole uh, crew we came down with. Um, but it was the one thing that I, I look back on. And I think now the amount of travel that you guys have to go through to essentially get any, because I mean, I think it was 16 yeah. hours on the, it was 14 or 15 hours on the way down. And I mean, it's, you guys don't get enough credit for all the travel. Everywhere you guys got to go, you're in, yeah, you're in a different time zone. Exactly. Everywhere we go is far, you know, and our ski season here in Perisher, it's relatively short. So it means a lot of travel, very different to a lot of, uh, you know, Northern hemisphere teams. 
mm-hmm. I guess I, I've spoken to a bunch of people about it and how like the Australian team are very different to most other most other national teams even just from our like backgrounds and where we're from you know a lot of a lot of the international teams are you know they're mountain men and mountain women people grew up in the mountains and have their local resort and whatnot whereas in Australia a lot of the people in, involved in skiing come from the cities whether it's Sydney and Melbourne and uh so it's kind of you know definitely a different lifestyle we've grown up with you know we're used to the sun and the warmth and yeah occasionally we occasionally we ski growing up and all of a sudden now it becomes our passion and what we love doing very uh very different but no it does does come with a lot of time away from home you know i think the last few years i've been home i've been uh, away from home for about 250 days of the year so a lot of travel that's crazy yeah no it's definitely definitely a lot of time what uh what would be some some jet lag kind of tricks for you when you're when you're traveling through you're going to different time zones i mean what 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 helps you kind of keep up with the with the new time zone it's a tough one it's 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 pretty tough but I guess you can, uh, you know, you obviously got to try and adjust earlier. So you know, if you can get a, if you can try and manipulate your body into a, the, the new time zone a few days before you leave, that always helps. Uh, but sometimes you can't do that because, you know, a lot of the time we're competing and then the next day we're flying out right. uh, to the next venue. So it's uh, got to be able to adapt quite quickly. And that's something that I'd say probably getting into a routine at, mm-hmm. when you get to your final destination is really important. That's what I've always done. Like, some people like to travel and then have a day to set up before they start to get into their training camp or whatever. Whereas for me, I'm kind of better off just like get there, go straight into routine and then, you know, you'll be tired at the end of the day. So you'll sleep. Right. No, definitely. Have you read, uh, there's actually a really good book on it. Uh, why we sleep by, by Matthew Walker. No, no, I haven't. If you, uh, if you get a chance, it's a really, really good, uh, good book, help you out with some jet lag, help you out, get some, get some kind of, good good routines going for you in the future especially with how much you know 250 days a year on the on the road would be a good one for you i think yeah totally <laughs> why we sleep was it why we sleep why we sleep matthew walker why we sleep yep yeah, yeah I'll, I'll look out for that one yep um so one of those you know when you're going through traveling and and being at home competing and stuff like that i mean what what are some of those everyday uh, things, priorities that, that you kind of try to maximize to get done with every single day, right? There's only so much time in a day. You've got training. You've got all these different things to kind of take care of. What, what helps you kind of prioritize some of your daily routines? Yeah, I guess uh, when it comes to sporting life, it's, you know, for me, it's, uh, it's not too bad. We have, you know, we have a really good team and, uh, you know, our coaches and our organizers are really really good at more or less just giving us the program and you just stick to it. You know, that, you know, you know, you know, when you got to rock up to training, you know, your daily schedule and um, I think our, yeah, our coaches and the people who run our program do a really good job of basically setting up the whole calendar year, a year in advance, you know, pretty much by the time we finish up our Northern hemisphere winter, we know exactly when we're going to be at what camp and, uh, and what the plan is throughout the whole year. So they, right. they kind of more or less take, take charge in, in, in those areas, which is really good. Uh, for me, it's, you know, I've, I wouldn't say I'm the most organized person. Like we have, uh, I, I'm doing uh, a double degree in civil engineering and business at university. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I trust my memory and my mind a bit too much sometimes. You know, I, I tend to just, I tend to just take a mental note of what's due when and when I need to do stuff, which is kind of my, my prioritization ranking system. Whereas I think I, I, think I could probably you know, take a few notes from a few more uh, experienced people and, uh, you know, put, put pen to paper. I think something I need to adopt at some stage. Um, but yeah, my, I'm a bit, I'm a bit, uh, I guess, low key and lazy when it comes in, uh, comes to that department, but for sport, yeah, it's more or less, everything's kind of ironed out for us. We have a program, gym program, we have, you know, our training schedule. So it's more right. or less just rocking up each day. So, so when you're younger and you're kind of growing into your role as you make the Australian team and, and things of that nature, how hard is it to kind of uh, trust some of those coaches? Because I know with a lot of at least the athletes here and things of that nature, um, there can definitely be a difficulty kind of growing in and, and uh, being able to trust uh, some of those coaches. coaches yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think uh, what we've done in Australia in the last – since I've started the sport basically mm-hmm. in the early 2000s is just develop a really uh, like a really defined pathway on from like when you get into the sport at the club level through to the institute teams 
um, all the way up into the national team. Right. And what we've done really well is that, you know, the coaching staff, the high end coaching staff, like Steve Desovich and Peter Tabalovic and all those guys have, um, they've passed on their knowledge to the club coaches mm-hmm. and the lower end coaches. So basically you're getting to coach the same technique um, from when you start the sport to when you get to the national level, you might have a different coach and, you know, the, the, there's definitely different subtleties in technique and, and level that you'll be learning. But, uh, you know, generally the overall, I guess the overall goal of, of the way we want to ski in Australia is more or less kind of started at that, at that low end level and goes mm-hmm. all the way through. So I think that that helps a lot in Australia. So like when you get a new coach, you know, it's not like you're learning a whole new technique or anything like that. It's, it's more or less you're moving on to the next level of that technique. I think right. that's one thing we do really well. seems like, Maybe in the U.S., it's you know each each mountain and each region have their own sort of style and technique. So it's, I imagine it will be quite difficult when you move up to different coaches. Right. No, definitely. I mean, Steve. Uh, St- Steve's the man out there. He's he's such a good dude. And talk about a, a competitive guy too. I mean, I remember yeah. um, the Ultra first time I think I met Steve. It was at uh, back when they used to have World Mogul in Whistler in like 2001 or something like that. And I remember Desovich at the time was a huge, huge Florida State fan. You know, he likes his college football. <laughs> and I remember like a few years later, Florida State started to get bad. They started to suck. And it was like when Alabama was like starting to get good and everything. And I've born like a Florida State fan. I've always grew up Florida State fan. So I saw Desovich like at the water ramps out here. I'm like, hey, like, you know, start talking like Florida State. He's like, oh, I hate them. They, they don't win anymore. <laughs> so I'm not a fan. Yeah, I like Alabama now because they win. <laughs> he, does, he, he loves he loves winners, hundred percent, no doubt about it. You know, he was a winner back in his day, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he, you know, all the athletes he coaches, he wants them to be winners. So I think that uh, you definitely see that a lot. You know, he loves it. He loves a team that's you know coming off a big dynasty, and yep. and uh, he loves, uh, I guess, you know, the likes of the LeBron James, Michael Jordans, the Roger Federer's of sport, who just go out and beyond and are just on a whole another level, and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got that in our own spot with Mick. So he, uh, he definitely, he loves that as a fan. Right. Well, I mean, it sounds like that kind of feeds into your personality of, of wanting to win as well. It sounds like you guys definitely feed off each other in that regard. Yeah, definitely. I get, you know, we, I've been working with Des. Um, I started working, working with him loosely during our domestic seasons when I was, I think, 13. Mm-hmm. And, um, at the, at the time, Dal, Dalberg Smith was still skiing and, uh, you know, Dale will come out during the summer and I, I think I was 13 and um, Dale one day came up to me and was like, hey, do you want to come out tomorrow and come skiing with us? Mm-hmm. We're just, just with Des and Dale and um, that was pretty awesome. You know, we had Des was coaching Dale at the time and then um, and Dale was coaching me for a few days. So that was pretty cool and learned, learned a few tips and, you know, as a 13-year-old, it was pretty surreal. And for those out there that, that don't know, uh, Dale Beg Smith, one of the legends of the sport, 2006 yeah, gold great. medalist, and he, he definitely had his own little dynasty there for a while. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, he was good. He was, he was, he's been a good mentor for me as well growing up. So it was um, you know, great to watch him. You know, we were like, we were, I guess Australia was pretty fortunate to have him on our side, you know, being, Can- being Canadian-born and whatnot. But you know, we provided the program for him to come out here and really flourish. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll claim that. Yeah. No doubt about it. <laughs> so, so spe- speaking to that, Might a be, bit, I'm, I guess Canada lost a gold medal out of it, but we'll take it. <laughs> exactly. Speaking to the, to the kind of uh, that him, him mentoring you, I mean, who, who would you say are some of those people that kind of helped mentor you or, or that, you know, you really kind of looked up to uh, growing up that, that helped with your success? Yeah, I guess obviously Dale for sure. He was, you know, he was, uh, when he won gold in 2006 at the Torino Games, I was uh, I was in grade six at the time, so I think that's like 11 years old. And, uh, and yeah, I just you know, as soon as that happened, I was like, "This is awesome! That's what I want to do." And I started started chasing that that Olympic dream and Olympic gold dream. Um, I guess one of the other main influential people in my life growing up was my older brother, Dave. Um, you know, he was a skier. He skied. Yeah, he was in the development Australian development team and did a season on the World Cup tour and competed at the 2011 World Champs. So he was quite quite a competent skier himself. And um, you know, me growing up, being four years younger than him, I was just basically chasing around the mountain for the, during the early years. So uh, you know, I owe a lot to him. And um, 
he more or less, you know, paved the way for me to just kind of walk on for. Right. Always gotta, there's always that, that kind of sibling, right? I feel like there's always the older brother or older sister, you know, that kind of helps, helps push you, uh, push you around, kind of gives you that, that drive a little bit, right? Yeah, totally. You know, I'm the youngest of four kids and we all skied and competed overseas. So it was, um, you know, I had to learn quick, quickly, otherwise I was going to get left behind. Mm -hmm. Now take us in and kind of your first, uh, what would you say your first big moment through, through your competitive career where, where you start to realize like, Hey, I'm, I'm really starting to get the hang of this. I'm starting to have some success. Things are starting to click in the right way. When, when would you say you kind of first felt that as an athlete? I'd say I, I first felt, um, the first time I felt that I was getting pretty good at the sport and I had a lot of potential was uh, well before I think, you know, I did accomplish anything worthwhile talking about. But yeah. I think um, for me, it was actually when I started going uh, to the US when I was 12 and 13 years old. And I okay. went over there with a little sub development team. We had in Australia at the time and we competed in the Rocky Mountain Tour. And um, at, up until that point in time, I didn't really have any reference on where I was relative to the rest of the world. All I knew was, all I saw, all the only skiers who I'd seen at that point who were international were the World Cup skiers that would come out to Perisha. And um, so I had no reference on where I was relative to people my age around the world. And anyway, right. that those couple of years, I went over to the US, competed in the Rocky Mountain Tour. And um, after those couple of years, I kind of realized that I'm actually pretty good at this. And, uh, you know, at the time there wasn't really any kids around me around my age that were kind of close to my level. So I was starting to realize that this could be it. This could be, you know, yeah, I'm definitely, definitely got a good jump on the rest of the, say what seems like the rest of the world. So, uh, that was definitely a big, big, uh, turning point for me when I started competing overseas. And then I guess the first big milestone for me was probably my first world cup in, Deer Valley in 2010. It was just before the Vancouver Olympics. Okay. Yeah. And um, I was 15 years old. And on the second day of competition, I was finished 27th, which at the time was, you know, it was a tough, tough field to be in, be involved in, you know, just before the Olympics, everyone was pushing hard and skiing really well. Yeah. And to come away with the 27th. And I think I was only like a point off the finals or something was, um, that was a big, that was a big turning point. And then, that, and then that from there on, it was always, I always knew that I could kind of, do really well in the sport right yeah I, I i remember that uh that 2010 deer valley world cup was was uh really awesome uh yeah it was high, quality, high quality that was yeah. uh it was like gilbo and dale going at it yep and then uh, billard was kind of in the mix too he was a little bit in the mix and then i think it was jesper bjornland that was from, yeah he was uh, coming on sweden he was that was like that year, yeah. they were like was one a, two three year. yeah that was awesome i remember that uh Dale and uh, Desovich and a couple of you guys hung out after uh, Deer Valley uh, to train because I remember training with you guys for a few days in there and that was a uh, that was a lot of fun yeah, getting, yeah. A, yeah. getting to ski with uh, with Dale. I know Dale was uh, at the time was a little uh, upset about uh, Gibo in the in the bottom air. I remember, <laughs> I remember that was a point of contention with. Yeah, I guess they kind of started and, that and whole training. <laughs> I guess Gilbo kind of started the whole uh, suck up bottom air duel. Right. style of skiing you know that's yep. you know, that's pretty much all we do now in jewels is come into the bottom area and suck up a backflip and yeah. there you go across the finish line <laughs> yeah, but no. he did it really well and you know he was able to ski crazy fast and was oh man really good so he was um he was yeah he was good for those those couple of years there 2010 2011 it was good yeah on, for, on for those out there i'm pretty sure you can find it on youtube if you look up like 2010 deer valley i'm, I'm pretty sure yeah one of the, one of the greatest deer valley runs for sure yeah it's definitely it's definitely up and on there and so kind of you you get that growth you get some of those first few world cups under your belt and then uh 2014 you get the opportunity for your first uh first olympics what was what was that like for you it was great yeah I was 19 years old went in came seventh was really happy it was uh it was one of those things i was I guess one of the things that set me apart from when I was a kid to other athletes was um, when I was, you know, going on about being confident when I was a kid, it was, uh, I never really, you know, I would never say I had a dream to go to the Olympics. You know, it wasn't my dream to go mm -hmm. and to the Olympics and get a gold medal or get a silver medal or whatever. It was one, it was something that I just knew I was going to do. I, when I was, when I was young, you know, I knew I was going to go to the 2014 Olympics and this is probably when I was 10 years old. 
I'd already, I'd already more or less in my head planned out what I wanted to do. I wanted to go to the 2014 Olympics and be competitive. And uh, cause I knew I was going to be young at 19. So uh, yeah, I did that there and came seventh. And then from there, my goal was always to be to, uh, you know, ultimately was to win a gold medal at Pyeongchang, but I guess got a silver, so not too yeah. bad. No, definitely, <laughs> not, definitely, uh, definitely not too bad. I mean, how much would you say that first Olympic experience kind of helped you, you know, it's such an interesting, interesting thing. I mean, it's four years, spent all this time, all this hard training. And then for us, our sport, it's, 20 yeah, seconds, 30 and seconds. It, yeah. And then, all right, we'll see in another, you know, kind of, kind of four years. You yeah, it was have tough. a long time to think about it. It was quite tough. You know, I grew up like when we hit, I remember finishing the, uh, finishing the event in, in Russia and we, you know, the finals didn't finish until like 11 PM at night. And, uh, went back to the hotel and we're just hanging out with Brody. who's my teammate and he was my roommate at the Olympics. And I remember just talking to him and we were just like, exhausted like mentally physically you know we just put in a massive campaign and and pushed really hard for those olympics mm-hmm. and uh yeah i remember just talking to him and we're talking about like the next games and at that point in time i just didn't, i couldn't even think about it four years just seemed too far away mm-hmm. um that's something i learned definitely from 2014 going on to the 2018 olympics and then from 2018 now going on to 2022 something i was able to really adapt quickly with after Pyeongchang and it was just about, it was just a little switch, you know, just as opposed to thinking about the next Olympics being four years, bring everything back and start to think about the shorter term stuff. And, you know, the next year you've got world championships. So you got to prepare for that. And, um, you know, it seems, it seems to, uh, it definitely got me back in the mode of training a lot faster after the 2018 Olympics versus the 2014 games where I was, I was pretty, pretty mentally drained as a 19 year old. What I mean, what's the most difficult part of, of that process going through the anxiety, the pressure? I mean, what what kind of helped you through in, in those first games being like, you know, at the end of the day, the sun's going to come up tomorrow. Everything's going to be all right. You know, it's not the end of the yeah. world. <laughs> now, the pressure's on at the Olympics. You want to right. do your best. You want, you want to perform your best there. So it was um, it's tough. I mean, I remember I was super nervous for the qualification around. It's, uh, it's something I've always had in i guess sport or in mobile skiing anyway was the qualification round to me always seems it seems like the hardest you know once i'm through the qualification rounds i'm able to relax and and enjoy it a lot more and i remember yeah for the uh qualification round in sochi jesus i was nervous like full-on butterflies like i never experienced before um but yeah definitely a big learning curve for me you know after since then i definitely haven't felt that sort of like anxiety and nervousness before an event you know career i was definitely a lot more relaxed and, and felt a lot more like present in the moment but i mean did you do any or do you do any kind of mental training or, or anything like that do you guys have a sports psyche kind of go through and and see and kind of help you set up some goals and things yeah like we've that? had we've had um the program provides sports psychologists for us and uh leading up to well, both leading up to both olympics we worked with uh two specific sports sites mm-hmm. that i think helped a lot and um to be honest, I think it's just growing up, you know, maturing, you know, once and, and, get, and experience plays a big part of it. Right. You know, you can do all the mental prep in the world, but no one's going to prepare you for your first Olympics. It's pretty damn, it's pretty damn daunting and hard. And, yeah. um, and it's something you can, you can use and learn, for, learn from going into your second and your third games where right. everything just comes a lot more natural and you're a lot more confident and, uh, and relaxed at, the, at those events. But your first major event in anything that's is going to be, very nerve wracking. Right. So, you know, as you're, as you're kind of gearing up and, and going through this whole career that you've had, I mean, uh, speak a little bit to kind of the perseverance, right? Because it's not always uh, the highlights of winning your first world cup at Deer Valley or, you know, getting your second Olympics in, getting a silver medal and, and things of that nature. I mean, there's certainly some of those, some of those low times. I mean, people don't really like to talk about failures, but a lot of the times, it is those failures and not doing the way you want to that kind of propel you to, to reach those new heights. Yeah, I guess uh, it almost comes back to hating that, that, that concept of hating to lose. (laughs) It's funny when you watch athletes, a lot of, you know, reasonably good athletes, you know, myself included, you know, after you have a failure or a bad event, often the next event you come out and drop that, drop a hammer, you know, it's, um, that's often the case. It's, 
there's only a few exceptions in the world where they can repeat it week in, week out. You know, Mick, for example, he's, he's just desire to win is on another level, I think. And, uh, you know, his ability to be able to just turn up every week and yeah. bring his A game is super impressive. And I think that's something that differentiates him amongst, among, uh, you know, basically the rest of the field. But yeah, definitely perseverance and desire to win, I think are probably the two, some of the two most important things that a lot of successful athletes and successful people have in their, yeah, around the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, how much, how much looking out and, and seeing Mick, I mean, how much of a drive is that, is that for you? Cause you want to knock him off the mountaintop, obviously. Yeah. He's, you know, he's the man to beat. He always, he always has been whilst I've been around. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it comes back to, I guess he's, he's pushed not only me, but the whole field, a whole, to a whole nother level. You know, if he wasn't involved in the sport, we, you know, we'd probably be, a lot worse off right now you know we're skiing yeah. and our jumping will probably be a notch or two behind what it is today and um yeah basically you know he's set the standard and the rest of us is just trying to chase him down so and make up the difference so he's pushed us a lot you know he's pushed me a lot and um you know i've only knocked him off the top step a few times but it's yeah pretty interesting every time every time i've won an event where he's been involved in he's come second and then every time i've come second in like a world cup or whatever he's always been the winner so it was um kind of interesting that he's always there yeah <laughs> he's always, <laughs> he's always there i mean well let, let's speak a little bit to that first win at uh at deer valley because i remember watching that uh performance under the lights there really is uh nothing like that crowd at deer valley at least that yeah, was I've, awesome. I've seen before and uh i mean you mm-hmm. just absolutely destroyed that thing it was it was a thing of beauty <laughs> yeah it was it was it was it was, a, it was a fun night obviously i was you know i was pretty happy with the result and um was that 2016 i think Mm-hmm. 2016. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, it was. I remember that course. It was when they brought in the uh, no slip rule that year. So yeah. it was no slipping from basically when we inspected in uh, before our training session, before qualifications, and then throughout the whole night, the course just deteriorated and got gnarlier and gnarlier. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I like to think of myself as probably one of the stronger skiers on tour. And you know, I guess one a little. Uh, the motto I like to live by is that when the, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that I kind of harnessed that, that night and, um, you know, I was able to deliver a really good run in the super final when, you know, the course and everything was really hard, but, uh, yeah, I've had this, I've always had a lot of fun and competed really well at Deer Valley. I think I'm, you know, I like to think of myself as being a big time, big, a big show performer and, um, sure. You know, in those main in those major events, I uh, you know I've seen to in the past do really well, whether it's like in Olympic Games or World Championships at Deer Valley and whatnot. It's um, yeah, I've always enjoyed Deer Valley from being got a lot of firsts there. It was my first ever World Cup, my first ever podium, my first ever top ten at a World Cup, and um, first ever World Championship medal. So it was uh, yeah, a lot of firsts in that in that resort. Absolutely, yeah, it was a lot of good uh, a lot of good memories at, at, uh, in Deer Valley for sure. Now, what, what would you say are some kind of habits that you do, whether it's in season kind of competition wise or out of season, just training that, that have really kind of helped you along the way to succeed? Uh, I guess some of the habits, you know, that I like to live by is just getting it done, you know, putting in the work and, um, and making sure, making, trying to make the most of every session, whether it's, you know, you're at home working out or whether you're, on snow jumping and skiing, you really got to make sure you know, really got to go into that session or that, that uh, training, you know, um, on snow training session and really try and maximize the day. You know, there's a lot of days when you go out and it's for some reason it feels like it's not your day. And mm-hmm. uh, I think it's really important to take a couple breaths when that, when you're going into that kind of rut and, um, you know, try and maximize the day as much as you can, whether that means, you know, if you go out and want to ski 10 top to bottoms and, it's not happening. The conditions are too hard. There's always something you can change. You can, you know, you can change your mindset and all of a sudden be like, all right, I'm going to work on my turns or I'm going to work on my jumps and, and try and get something out of the day that way. Okay. So being able to kind of drive through and, and whether it's your day or not, kind of just go in and uh, keep, yeah, keep yeah, persevering totally. a little bit. Yeah. Good, good, good. Um, so for, for kind of athletes out there or, or people in general kind of navigating a business world or, or anything like that, that kind of 
um, maybe they're they're a little bit frayed or they're not kind of getting the results that that they want to. You know, um, what what kind of advice would you would you give to them to kind of help them through? Is it as simple as just go in and and do the work? Um, no one's going to do. It for I mean, you, in a lot of cases, <laughs> it probably is. You know, if there's, there's not a, you know, if you are. Uh, if you want to cut through all the bull crap and everything, that's, that's probably the best. It's probably going to give you the best chance at, at succeeding in what you want to succeed in. But, um, you know, there's probably a lot more to it than that. I think one thing I really like, um, and, and have tried to harness in skiing and a lot of the other things I like to do is, um, is you want to be doing something that you enjoy and that you have fun doing, you know, it's, uh, definitely makes going to work or going to a training session a lot easier when you enjoy it. So, um, yeah, I think having fun is really important. Something that gets overlooked a lot, and yeah. um, you know, you can always talk about the amount of des- and someone can have the most desire in the world, but if they're not enjoying what they're doing. They're probably not. They're probably uh, working hard, not working smart. So it's um, yeah, I think enjoying what you're doing is very important. Absolutely. So, what are some of those things when you're when you're not on the hill that you get to uh, that that you like to enjoy to kind of decompress and and take your mind off of skiing a little bit? Uh, just doing stuff around like, you know, I'm from like a warm, sunny, sunny area of the, of New South Wales in Australia. So we do a lot of grew up kind of not too far from the waterfront. So obviously grew up sailing and, um, I kind of don't sail too much competitively anymore. It's just more or less whenever I get a call up on a, on a boat, if someone needs me, but I still like to get out and do a bit of kiteboarding and windsurfing when I'm around, when I'm around home. And then, um, it's usually water related, you know, whether it's going for a surf or, we have a we have a boat, so we go out water skiing, wakeboard behind a uh, behind a boat. Something we grew up doing, and family loves to do. So it's um, yes, yeah, basically anything activity sport related is what I like to do when I'm at home. Get get my mind off the skiing, but keep those uh you know keep me a little bit sharp between the ears. So you know uh, you don't have that much time at home. I mean, 250 days a year, so your your time <laughs> is limited when when you are at home. So I mean, are those just getting out on the water as, as, as much as possible when you kind of have the opportunity. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Just get home. You know, it's, uh, I guess being at university, I've got a little bit of flexibility in my flexibility, in my schedule. So when I do get home, there's, there's that a bit, there's that time that I can kind of work around my uni schedule to go out and whether it's get up early and go for a morning surf or something, I can kind of do that. But, um, it's something I miss a lot. You know, I miss definitely miss spending time at home and, and, uh, whether that's that going, club racing and sailing and um and all that stuff it's you know that stuff i'm really looking forward to getting back into when i retire from mogul skiing yeah how many how many more olympic runs is it going to be you got eight, another I eight more years or how's the body <laughs> feeling <laughs> body's pretty good you know I'm 20 25 now and uh everything's holding up pretty good um but yeah obviously beijing's the, the the focus at the moment 2022 sure. olympics and then um after that, I'll probably reevaluate, see where I'm at. Um, love to go for another quad, but that's that'll put me at 31. And I know Milan sounds very intriguing, but if I was to go there, I'd probably have to adjust my schedule a little bit. Maybe take a year off somewhere in the middle, and and then kind of build back up for those games. But you know, I kind of haven't put anything in writing yet. But at the moment, I'm looking looking towards Beijing, and then probably the year after at least to go to the World Championships and really just go out and try and enjoy every event that year and then uh, see where I'm at and see where the, the motivation is. Right. Competitive fire uh, definitely, definitely kind of needs to, needs to be there, especially the, the beating that the, the body takes. Yeah. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. It depends if I, uh, if I'm enjoying my back feeling pretty good, if I take some time off or not, but we'll see. So uh, look, kind of looking back, I mean, how much have you seen a growth in, in winter skiing kind of in, in Australia since you've kind of started back from, from 2003, uh, to, to now, I mean, it's, it's crazy. I think that, uh, Vail's number one, uh, revenue generating mountain is Perisher, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's their, their yeah, biggest, I don't, uh, I don't know the stats, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's pretty busy down there. It's, um, it's recreational skiing in Australia is huge. You know, I mm-hmm. think I read somewhere that, uh, like skiing and snowboarding is the most, is the, has the highest, recreational i guess quota in the world or something something like that you know just people going out and skiing it's uh it's something the families can do together which i think gets a lot of people involved but um i mean in australia there's definitely a lot of kids these days a lot more kids competing we have this uh this uh little competition it's called like a little school competition called the Mm -hmm. 
into schools. Basically, okay. you know, each school around Australia can send their kids to these ski events in Australia. And it's all, it's more or less low end sort of, you know, the mogul event there, it's you're skiing like a pretty, pretty flat run. That's probably about 150 meters long and it just has a moguls and then a jump at the end. Mm-hmm. And it's a really good way to get people into the sport. And, um, and it has, you know, it's basically just fed so many school kids into our club programs in Perisher and down in Victoria as well. So it's, um, that's had a big influence on the amount of people in the sport. We definitely got a, there's a lot more depth in that, I guess, 10 to 14 year old uh, age kids now than a lot more than what there was when I was growing up. And uh, yeah. yeah, whether that's to do with, you know, our success we've had in the past 10 years or whether it's, you know, these little school competitions and everything, it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of different factors, I guess. Yeah. I mean, how does it, uh, you've kind of replaced the, the role of Dale now, right? I mean, you have a bunch of little 13, 14 year olds that are now looking up to you. You're, you're the guy. So do you get, do you get a, a little bit of an opportunity to get to ski with kind of some of those younger kids? Yeah, totally. It's kind of, I guess the, the roles of the, the responsibilities have changed a bit over the years. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I remember growing up and looking at, looking at the, I guess the big dogs in the sport and, and always idolizing them. And to think, you know, that I'm potentially one of those is seems weird, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's something I've learned to accept and try and give back as much as I can. And, you know, I like to show up, uh, presentations for you know skiing events and whatnot in Australia and try and inspire the next the next kid to put to grit their teeth and get their hands hands dirty in the sport and um, produce something and it's starting to show I think we have a lot of good kids coming up as uh, you know male and female in that ten to fourteen year old range that are that show a lot of potential and um, you know if they can if the coaches and the programs can harness that and and build those athletes up then I'm sure we'll have you know, another future little protege coming out soon. But I think we have, we've got another few successful years, you know, with me and Jakara, Anthony and Britt Cox and all that. There's a lot of, uh, there's some talent in the Australian, Australian team at the moment and we're all working really hard and obviously got a big push in the next 18 months leading up to Beijing. Yeah, no, it's a, uh... Definitely, you guys have uh, built quite the machine down there. So it's got to be pretty uh, fulfilling to see that uh, the growth, especially uh, amongst those 10 to, to kind of 14-year-old range. Uh, that's really awesome, for sure. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's pretty, it's exciting to be a part of and it's exciting to watch from my perspective. But um, yeah. yeah, it's one of those things that's, I always, I always grew up being the young kid coming up and uh, now, now I'm probably the old dog. So it's, uh, <laughs> it feels weird, but I mean, <laughs> I don't feel old, so that's kind of that's kind of good, I guess. Yeah, you, you you're young. You don't have anything to worry <laughs> about, so you got plenty uh, plenty of time uh, ahead of you there for sure. Well, kind of kind of looking forward. One one of those things I've been I've been trying to do a lot of uh, lately with the uh, COVID Corona and, and that going on and being uh, stuck a little bit more at home. I've tried to uh, get a little bit more reading in. So, have you you got any books at all that uh, along your kind of career that have uh, really inspired or, or helped you or that you just kind of enjoyed that you think would be uh, helpful for uh, some kids out there? Um, I think I never, I, I was never a big reader growing up, but okay. one book I did read that I really enjoyed, it's called um, probably a lot of people have read it. I think it's called uh, outliers by Malcolm okay. Gladwell. Yeah. He's um, yeah, that was a great book. You know, it's about, I guess, I guess the outliers and, uh, successful people and why they're successful and looking at a bunch of reasons why. And that was, um, that was a pretty cool, pretty cool read. Um, okay. I'm also reading a book at the moment. Uh, scar tissue, scar tissue, uh, Anthony Kiedis. Uh, okay. From uh, red hot he's, chili peppers. Yeah. It's a sweet book. I mean, it's not really related to sport, but he's crazy lifestyle. Uh, yeah. And, uh, but yeah, besides that, I don't read too often cause I'm, I'm either studying and reading textbooks or I'm uh, skiing. So, Trying, I figured you get a little bit of a little bit of reading in on the uh, on the plane. Uh, I'm terrible at doing anything on the plane. I just trying to <laughs> go in there and sleep, or I go on a movie marathon. But uh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, I had uh, Doug Wren uh, a few episodes. Who he owns a, a awesome uh, travel agency, and he's he's been to like 130 countries, travels kind of all over, and um, he had one uh, moonwalking with Einstein that I actually have right now uh, as an audio book, and it's essentially about um, 
this guy who goes into the memory world championships. And it's essentially about how these guys are able to remember like 150 decks of cards in the exact yeah. order that the cards are. It's, it's crazy. It's definitely. Yeah. Crazy. I think I watched a, like a documentary on a lot of those memory people last <laughs> year. I think I was in Park City in June and Brody and I were watching this uh, documentary. I can't remember what it was called. Uh, I have to talk to Brody about it, but yeah, it was, uh, it's crazy how those people can remember stuff. Just like scan for a deck of cards and then all of a sudden just put it together the way it was. It's pretty wild. Yeah. So now, uh, obviously with everything going on, you guys probably aren't doing uh, too much, too much travel, but usually you would come out in the summer and, and train uh, here in Utah, get a little bit of time in at the Utah Olympic Park water ramps there. But you guys, uh, you guys have your own that are, are, are they going to be done by next summer or when's kind of the, the game? Plan yeah, in the next couple of weeks, I think. Next yeah, we have a new... Yeah, we have a new facility getting built up north in um, Brisbane, which is in the next state north of okay. Queensland. And um, yeah, it'll be that'll be awesome facility. It looks really good. They're yeah, a couple of weeks out I think now from testing, and then um, we probably won't use it until after our domestic season. So probably we're looking at September. We'll be able to use it. Okay. Um, but yeah, those trips out to the out to Park City in the summer might be in the past now as we've got a we've got a world class facility here. So it's um, exciting for us to be be able to spend those extra days at home but um i did enjoy park city and those camps in the summer were pretty awesome you know getting getting mountain biking and stuff like that was pretty fun yeah no definitely definitely good times i guess we'll just have to make more uh more trips down under to see you guys i I don't i don't know (laughs) if we are this year but uh hopefully uh, hopefully sometime yeah the u.s haven't been out for a couple years and uh you know we miss you all it's pretty fun it's always (laughs) a fun season it's a hard course but there's a lot of tough things about jindabyne and and living in Australia down there, it can be pretty brutal for the, some of the teams, I think. But uh, yeah, I love it. It's kind of what I what I grew up doing, and um, definitely enjoy it down here. Yeah. Well, hopefully, uh, we'll get to see it uh, Deer Valley or sometime later this winter. Kind of depending on what happens with FIS and the World Cup yeah, schedule and, and everything else. But uh, thanks for thanks for taking the time, my man, and uh, coming on and doing this. I really appreciate it. No, thanks, Bobby. It's good to see you. All right. Well, uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll, I'll see you soon and uh, hopefully we'll be able to do this again. Yeah, totally. Definitely. All right. Uh, thanks everybody. We'll uh, talk to you later. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks a lot for listening in. I really appreciate it. Please make sure to take the time to like, share and subscribe our show. And also you can follow along on Instagram. Thanks.